Thank you, Josh. I do appreciate that prayer, actually, as I've been uh, listening <laughs> to God this week in preparation. Um, my work this week took me to uh, Canberra from Sunday through to Wednesday and Perth from Thursday through to Friday. So I set a new record this week in terms of sermon preparation that I did 98% of this like on the tray table in an aeroplane. So as I was listening to God, I was also listening to instructions from the pilot uh, and all sorts. So um, I certainly appreciate uh, the prayer, Josh. Uh, but we're going to continue uh, the series uh, this week on some of the I am sayings of Jesus. And we're talking this morning uh, about I am the light. So I did a lot of thinking this week about light and also darkness. And we've probably all heard, haven't we? Um, what would happen if the sun suddenly disappeared? Life as we know it will begin to unravel in about how long? A bit, did someone say eight minutes? Seven, eight? It's about eight minutes. So life as we know it would begin to unravel in about eight minutes. Gravitational force would disappear. Photosynthesis would cease. Our oceans would eventually freeze over and all of life would die out pretty quickly. And the good news is that that's not likely to happen anytime soon. But nevertheless, it's still very easy for us in our modern life to take light for granted. We no longer have to build fires when the sun goes down at night, unless we're camping or particularly concerned about the electricity bill. Uh, we get light at the flick of a switch or the touch of a button. Just about every single one of us has got a torch ready to go in our pocket at any given time. But the reality is that even in our modern world, we should be incredibly grateful for the light that we have. Studies have actually been done or conducted to find out the effect of living in darkness for long periods of time. In fact, back in the 1960s, there was a French geologist by the name of Michel Sifra who started sending human subjects down into deep, dark caves, sometimes for months at a time, in order to actually um, study the effect of darkness on these people. They would go down without clocks, without calendars, without any contact at all with the outside world, outside of like a daily check-in with people at surface level. Now, for the extreme introverts out there, that might seem like heaven, but I can't think of anything worse than being stuck in darkness for months at a time. And unsurprisingly, he found that living in darkness for that amount of time actually has a profound effect on people's bodies and minds. Many of the subjects actually lost total track of time. Some people were sleeping for 36 hours at a time. Uh, others got to the end of the experiment and still thought they had weeks to go. They lost their total sense of where they were and what time it was. It's also well documented that darkness actually has a significant effect on our mental health. We've probably all heard, haven't we, of a seasonal affective disorder, uh, something that some people come into during these winter months of the year. I think sometimes it affects me uh, more so than other people as well. I mean, it's kind of like a subtype of depression that affects people in similar ways, but particularly during the cold, dark, wintry months of June, July and August, as decreased sunlight actually causes a drop in the body's production of serotonin, a chemical in our brain that affects our mood. And as that drops, we kind of have this seasonal depression. It has a significant imp impact on our mental health. Other studies actually show us that darkness can lead to poor concentration, to oversleeping, to feelings of worthlessness and even weight gain. Other studies have shown that it can make us more likely to lie and cheat, more likely to make mistakes at work, 
and more likely to see things we don't normally see. Darkness has a profound effect on both our body and our mind. Suffice to say this morning, we should be incredibly thankful every time that we see a sunrise or a beautiful sunny day like we've got today, or we uh, experience the wonders of electricity because light brings life. Light sustains life. As humans, we crave it and we can't flourish without it. And so then it's pretty unsurprising if that's what light does for us. It's unsurprising that light would be a central theme running through the whole of the biblical story. And so I just want you to bear with me for a few minutes this morning as we delve into just a little bit of biblical theology. How do we see this idea of light, this concept of light unfolding through the whole of the biblical story? Well, of course, it appears, first of all, on the very first page of our Bible, doesn't it? When into the deepest darkness, into what Genesis describes as chaos and disorder, God speaks light into being. And then in perhaps the most formative story for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus, light plays this incredibly important role. Just have a look again at these verses in Exodus. After leaving Succoth, they camped in Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give, pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now, as I read those verses again this week, it gave me pause to think about just how comforting that pillar of fire must have been for the people of Israel. You know, sometimes we can filter these stories, and the story of the Exodus is a classic for this. We can filter these stories through the lens of, you know, children's Sunday school stories. Or in the case of the Exodus, the animated movie, The Prince of Egypt from a few years ago, that's, we begin to think that that's exactly what it was like. But not unlike the terrifying images that we've seen of Afghani people escaping from the Taliban, or more recently, the Ukrainian people seeking refuge in other parts of Europe, the Israelites escaping Egypt were scared. They were displaced. They were desperately fleeing an oppressive regime which had enslaved them for the, for the past 400 years. This was no kid's story. They must have been terrified. And in the dark of the night, when we know all too well our anxieties are at their peak and when our greatest fears often surface, what does God do for the people of Israel? He provides them light. A light in the darkness to shine a way forward. A light to demonstrate his presence with them. A light to ease their fear, to offer rescue and hope for the future. Just imagine how important that was for the people of Israel. They knew the importance of light. And to cut a really long story short, when they eventually settled down in the land that God promised them, well after the Exodus, God tells them that they are to be a light for the nations around them. Just as God had been their light, they were to be a light for the nations around them. Just one example of this we find in Isaiah 49. There's numerous different examples, but there the prophet says to God's people, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob 
and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This was always the plan. That just as God had provided light to the world and was a light to the nation of Israel, that they themselves would be a light to the nations. And this was particularly important because they would be set apart and set against the brutality and the darkness of the ancient Near East and their neighbours around them. They were designed to be different, to be set apart, to be God's chosen people, to be a signpost of a different way of being human, a different way of practising community. So that as they lived, set against the darkness of the nations around them, as they lived as God's image bearers, reflecting God's light to the world, bringing life and blessing to the nations around them, God's plan for redemption and restoration may spread across the earth. This was their calling. And it's quite the calling, right? What a vocation for the people of Israel to be a light for those around them. But surely we know enough of the story, don't we, to know that more often than not, Israel could not live up to this privileged vocation. And so, into that very same story steps Jesus, the ultimate light of the world, the true light of the world. And with that Old Testament background, we then pick this up in John chapter 1. Where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in John 8, when Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, we've probably all seen or binge-watched, I suppose, one of those series on Netflix or the myriad of other streaming services that are around today. We've probably all seen one of those series, haven't we, where, where episode after episode after episode, we've been strung along and strung along with all these different plot lines uh, happening around the place. And finally, we get to the season finale and all of those plot lines come together and we finally understand what's going on. Well, it's a bit like that in the coming of Jesus into the story of Scripture, because all of the loose threads of these stories in the Old Testament finally come together in the person of Jesus. He is the very same God who spoke life and light into the world on page one of our story. He takes on the vocation of the Israelites, bringing life and, and blessing to the world. He inaugurates a new exodus through his life, death and resurrection. He accomplishes the ultimate rescue from sin and death. And set against the darkness, set against the darkness of sin and death and alienation and frustration, Jesus is the true light of the world. Illuminating a way forward, showing us that we're not alone in the darkness and the mess, that God's very presence is with us, providing hope for the future. And you would think, in one sense, that would be the end of the story, right? But there's a sequel. There's another series. And it's a series in the story that we get to participate in. 
pastor and theologian N.T. Wright uh, talks about the idea that we live, you and I live between the two ends of God's story. The first end comes with Jesus, with the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus defeats sin and death, victory. Yeah, you'd think that would be the end of the story, but it's not. It's not the end, end of our story. That is still yet to come when the life of heaven and the life of earth are finally united and God makes all things new. That's God's future that we have to look forward to. And in the meantime, we live between those two ends of the story. And in that time, the mantle of being a light to the world passes on to us. Just as God spoke light into the world, as He gave that mantle to the Israelites, as Jesus enters the world as the light of the world, we are now, as God's people, the church designed to be a light to our world. Have a look at the way Jesus describes this again in Matthew chapter 5. He says of us, His disciples, His followers, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put light in a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I don't feel like we need much convincing that the world can be a pretty dark place. We see it all the time. We see darkness on a global scale from war to injustice to human trafficking. We see it in our community, in violence and abuse, in all kinds of other marginalisation. And we're all too often aware of it within ourselves as well. Because we live in both the now of God's kingdom, where we see the beauty and goodness in people in our world. And we also live in the not yet of God's kingdom where we have to try and make sense of the tragedy and injustice and conflict and shame that we inevitably experience. And so as we live in that tension and we experience that for ourselves, may we know the light that Jesus offers, that no matter what we go through or no matter how bad the world might seem or how bad it might get, Jesus has waded into the mess. He is present with us. Just like the pillar of fire for the Israelites, Jesus shows us a way forward, offering us in all of that darkness and mess, rescue and hope, a light that shines in the darkness, which darkness cannot possibly overcome. And as we live in that tension, may we also take up this mantle to be a light for others. May the light of our lives, may the light of our community point people to Jesus, the true light of the world. And as we think about what that means, I just want to really briefly just talk about two of the images that, that I've already kind of mentioned already. But just to think about what it means for us to be a light to the world around us. And the first one is this, that light illuminates a path. It illuminates a way forward. And I'm going to tell a story now that um, I've told many times over the years, and there's some people in this room that have heard it many times, so I apologise to them. Um, But back when I was uh, like 22, I reckon, I was in my second year of teaching. uh, And I 
took an outdoor education camp off to uh, Mount Remarkable National Park um, to the Mambrae Creek area. And I was like a fresh out teacher, it was only my second year, really excited about taking a bunch of year 11s off on a bushwalking camp. Uh, and we walked from Mambrae Creek uh, about three hours into a place called Hidden Camp in the middle of the, the National Park. And, um, you, know, you know, like I said, I was pretty raw. We got lost a few times along the way, but we eventually found our way off to Hidden Camp and we set up camp there that night. And all was going swimmingly um, until we had, we had these tranges out, like these little um, bush ovens that you use when you're camping. You don't have a campfire and other bits uh, to cook your food. So we had our tranges out. And there's a group of Year 11 students sitting around one of these tranches, and it had been on for some time. One of the boys went to pour more fuel into the tranja itself, and it, like, it combusted. And I was sitting there with uh, another teacher at the time, like, literally looking at this group as they sat around, and there was a flash of fire. One of the tents caught fire. Um, but one of the boys, the, the boy that had put the fuel in the tranja, his clothes had caught on fire, he'd inhaled some of the, 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 the fumes and fuel from the tranja itself. Uh, and it didn't take us too long to realise that he was in strife. He'd been burnt really badly, uh, and not just from a, like an outside point of view, he'd inhaled some of that, that, that fuel, and uh, he was in a pretty bad way. Uh, we knew that we had to try and get help to him as soon as we possibly could, um, and this was, you know... 20 plus years ago, so uh, phone signal wasn't that great. I did have a mobile phone and I tried and, and couldn't get through to anyone. Uh, and so it became very clear that um, the best thing that we could possibly do was for the other teacher to stay and try and deliver some first aid and I just had to try and head back on that same path that we'd come out from and go and find help. Uh, and I can tell you, I still remember it like it was yesterday. In fact, every time I drive, you know, to visit one of my schools and drive past the entry to Mount Remarkable National Park, it all comes flooding back. Um, but it was hard enough to follow that path during the day. It's a path that actually uh, kind of goes through the, the bushland and cuts back and forth across a, a dry creek bed, which is okay when it's light, that's fine. Uh, it's it's fairly easy to find where the path kind of connects on the other side of the creek bed. But in the darkness, it was virtually impossible. And we had these torches. It was me and there was another kind of fit student that had to try and run as fast as we possibly could back to, to base camp to get help. Uh, and I still remember really vividly just that sense of relief when we would kind of be walking along this riverbank, uh, not knowing exactly where we were, knowing that if we stayed on the riverbank, we would eventually get back to base camp, but it would take us forever. Uh, we had to keep trying to find the path. And I still remember the sense of relief that we would get when our little torch that we had would hit one of the trail markers on the tree and we would finally find our way back under the path again. And there was just that sense of, oh, finally. There was that incredible sense of relief. Now I won't go into the rest of the story. Uh, the boy survived uh, after some significant, um, significant time in hospital. Um, I'll tell that part of the story at a different time. But I just, I stopped as I was thinking about that story again this week. I stopped and reflected again on just that sense of relief, of finding the path, and the only way we could find that path, path, was through the gift of light. And I just, it seems a bit abstract, but it made me think again this week about what would it look like for our lives 
and for our community to offer the world around us that same sense of relief. In a world that is so messy, in a world that appears so dark at times, when people come in contact with us in our community, how might that feel, that sense of, oh, finally, I can see because of the light that exists in these people, I can see a way forward. Because life is hard, isn't it? All the time, but particularly perhaps these last couple of years, life is hard. There are plenty of people in our community right now that don't know how they're going to take the next step. Life has been so uncertain. They don't know where to turn next. How might our lives, our community, be a light in the darkness for those people? In the way that we love each other, in the way that we practice community, in the way that we do dessert nights, in the way that we're a blessing to others, how might we be one of those trail markers for people to find the path towards the full life that is offered by Jesus? You know, we've talked a little bit about the election today. I just think in the last couple of weeks, obviously we've had our major political parties trying to convince us that they have the best plan, that they know the right path to move us to a better future. And I don't know about you, uh, neither of them were particularly convincing, although clearly one was a little bit more convincing than the other. Um, but that's not just politics, is it? That's just life. That's the culture in which we live. We live in a world that is always trying to convince us that it's the next thing that it's going to put us on the path to the good life. It's the next thing that we buy. It's the next holiday. It's the next success that will lead us on the path to the good life, the life that we've always longed for. But we are people of a different story. As we navigate the darkness of the world and as we attempt to help others to do the same, we need to know that it's ultimately in Jesus that we find life and life to the full. That is the light that we offer our world. And just the second thing I wanted to finish with is this idea that light provides security and hope. For the young parents out there, um, you know, that little kids often need a night light uh, to go to sleep at night. Just a little glow sometimes that makes them feel safe as they go to sleep. Now, I think we grow out of that, don't we? Most of us probably, hopefully, have grown out of that. In fact, Jane has. I can't even like, have a little tiny light on my phone. She'll notice it. Most of us grow out of that. But we don't grow out of that feeling that we get when light finally breaks in after a really long and restless night. Have you experienced one of them? You know, when you're awake in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep and you're tossing and turning, worrying about the most ridiculous things that you can't do anything about. We've probably all had those kind of nights. But at first light, suddenly everything changes again. We realise that it's going to be okay that those big things that we were so worried about in the darkness don't seem so big anymore. And as we think about what it means to be a light in the darkness to our world, how might we be people and a community that offer that same sense of security and hope for those around us? Remember, light is always set against darkness set against the darkness of our world, in a world where the 24-hour news cycle literally makes us anxious about everything, how might we be a non-anxious presence for those around us? 
offering a sense of security and hope in a dark and anxious world. And yes, the world can be dark, but we are people of a different story. Yes, the world can be fearful, but darkness and fear are not the final word in our story. Our world desperately needs people who can be a non-anxious presence. Our world desperately needs communities of peace and hope. People who, and communities who are convinced by the words of Jesus, the true light of the world, who said this to us, that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the true light of the world and that darkness cannot overcome you. You've defeated sin and death and risen to new life to offer us a new life, to offer us a way forward, to offer us life and life to the full. And we thank you that you have invited us into that very same story to be a light to the world around us. And we know we can only be that light if we live in your light. And we pray as we endeavour to do that as, as individuals and as a community, you might help us to, to be those people that can offer our world which experiences so much darkness to be those people that can offer a sense of security and hope and, and presence and a way forward in what is such a difficult culture in which we live. But we thank you for the privilege of that, of that vocation that you've called us to. And we know that we need your spirit working in us every single day to be the kind of people that you're calling us to. So we pray for that. We pray that you'll fill us with your spirit. You'll fill our church with your spirit and enable us to live this high calling that you've given us. We thank you for um, the way that you love us. We thank you for your grace and your kindness to us that invites us into this. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the hope that we have, uh, that you are redeeming all things, making all things new. And we commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.